My question again to you is, do you have peace? You know that God's people ought to have peace. Now, I didn't say that God's people ought to have everything we long for, or our flesh longs for, or anything we randomly desire at any given time. I didn't say that. I didn't say that God's people should all have perfect health, or live in certain square footage size houses, or have certain uh, year uh, new, new model vehicles. I didn't say that in perfect retirement. I didn't say that. I said God's people should have peace. And it is God's will that you and I have peace. And I can't think of a better time for us to think about this than over the Christmas season. Do you have peace? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight as we look at your word. Father, I pray for some in this room who are struggling and they have very, very little peace. A lot of turmoil, a lot of anxiety a lot of fear, doubts. Father, I pray that you would teach us from your word tonight, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would enlighten the eyes of our understanding, help us to understand and be able to comprehend. And by faith, Father, help us to live out this truth that you gave to the Philippian church 2,000 years ago. Help us, I pray. We need it. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, would you say tonight, if I were to ask you, and I'm not going to ask you one-on-one tonight, but if I were to ask you the question tonight, do you have peace in your life, what would you say? You don't have to shake your head or nod or flinch or wiggle in the air or anything like that. Don't move. But do you have peace? There might be some in this room and you'd say, Pastor Seth, frankly, I feel like I'm about to come apart. I don't know how much more I can take. I don't have peace at all. And I speak, for the most part tonight, I believe, to people who are saved. Born again, indwelt by the Spirit of God, who never leaves us nor forsakes us. And yet the reality is every single one of us, no matter how long we've been saved, and those of us who are saved, no matter how long, we still struggle with peace sometimes. And this, in this passage, is a beautiful passage, a wonderful passage on this matter of peace. So do you have peace? Uh, Look at verses 4 and 5, because they address the perspective on our lives that we should have. In verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now, we tend to rejoice in what God does for us more than we rejoice in God himself. You know there is a difference. We tend to rejoice more in what God does for us, and what he does than we do in him. And it's interesting in verse 4, the Apostle Paul states it and then he restates it. Rejoice in the Lord always, at all times, in every situation, is what he's saying. And again, he repeats himself, and again, I say rejoice. And that word rejoice has the idea of hope, trusting in the Lord. And then in verse 5, he goes on, he says, let your moderation, let your moderation be known unto all men. The word moderation means patience. Uh, It has the idea of being gentle or having a gentle attitude. Uh, Having an attitude of self-control. Now, it's good for us to think about this, and we we do connect the word moderation with that, self-control. It's interesting, during the Christmas season, I think covetousness and idolatry tends to thrive a little bit. You know, 
the Black Friday deals following Thanksgiving. You know, we, we don't even get done being thankful and whammo, here come the deals. And we can't possibly pass up those deals, right? And so it kind of cranks up the old man a little bit. He gets excited. He flares up. It's a bad flare up. And it kind of runs all the way through into the new year. And, and there's oftentimes a lack of moderation. But here Paul's saying, let your moderation, let your attitude of self-control and your emotional stability that maintains a strong testimony for the Lord, let it be known to all men why the Lord is at hand. He's present. Why should I not just go with what the old man wants to do? How, why should I, what should keep me, one of the, what are one of the things that should keep me from just doing what, I, what my old man feels like doing, responding in a situation just the way the old man feels, or maybe buying that because uh, I think I can. Uh, the moderation is there because God is present. He's right here with us, and he's watching. Tonight, during the uh, play practice before the evening service, for next Sunday night, the children were kind of walking through, and there were mo- a lot of m- movement going on, and, and I, there was a group of boys that had kind of gone back into the, the side door over here, and the door was open, and I was sitting over here about where Mrs. Harney's sitting, and I could see back in there, and they were having a pretty good time, you know, and, and I, wasn't wa- I was watching them. I didn't, I didn't think they were doing anything wrong or anything bad, but, you know, I was kind of watching them, having a good time there, and one of the boys kind of looked out, and he saw me looking at him, and he kind of, ooh. Now, I don't, I don't think he was doing anything wrong. But, you know, it made a difference for him that I could see him. It ought to make a different for, difference for you and for me that God can seize us. Now, that's not new to us. We know that. He sees everything. He's everywhere at once. He's with us today. We would do well to be reminded of that this time of year. Uh, let your conversation, uh, let your moderation, he says, be known unto all men the Lord is at hand. And so it's addressing the attitude as we go through life. Remember, the great test of going through a trial isn't what we go through. The, the test of a trial is not the trial itself. It's how we respond when we go through the trial. How we respond when we are faced with temptation. And that brings us to the main thought tonight of peace. And I'll define the word peace like this. The word peace can be defined as being at rest. Doesn't that sound good tonight, to be at rest? Oh, I, that's one of the things I, I look forward to. I love, I love times of rest. They seem to be few and far between, but I like them. This afternoon, I sat down on the couch, and I had my Bible there, and I had the message there, and, and uh, Cindy was sitting at the dining room table quizzing Olivia over some schoolwork, and, and, uh, and I kind of popped up one of the pillows and kind of scooched down a little bit further and a little bit further. And then I heard Cindy say, what's going on out there? And she was kind of giving me a hard time. And I kind of peeked up over the pillow, you know. And uh, yeah, I wanted a little bit of rest. A rest is a good thing. The word peace means being at rest, to be free from worry. The word peace means to be free from worry. Can you say that you're free from worry? You, You can be. I'm not saying there are never times where we don't worry. But never in the Bible are we told that worry is a good thing. In fact, the Bible seems to indicate that worry is sinful. And God knoweth our frame, but that's just because he knows who we are, and he knows our weaknesses, doesn't excuse us living in worry. So peace has the idea of to be free from worry. Uh, the word peace means uh, free from discontentment. 
and free from strife. There's peace. You know, there's no peace in a marriage relationship where the husband and wife are at one another. There's contention. That's not peaceful marriage. It is a terrible, terrible feeling. Uh, there's, when, when there's discontentment foaming in, in us as individuals, there's a lack of peace. There's almost a restlessness, you know. I got to buy it. I, I got to do it. I got to do something. I just can't let that sale slip by. And I got to have it. I, I need to have it. And you talk to your spouse about it. And you talk to other people about it. And you talk to yourself about it. And you research and you research and you research. And really, you don't need it. It's just driving you crazy. Yeah. That's not peace. And so, how can we have peace? Well, notice in verse 6, first of all, to have peace, you must first take the matter to God in prayer. You must first take the matter to God in prayer. Look at verse 6. He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, we looked at that word this morning, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Verse 6 is all about praying when we face adversity. Praying when we face adversity. In, in, in verse number 6, the beginning part, we're reminded that we all have reasons to worry. He says, be careful for nothing. Be careful. You can see within that word, full of care. Don't be full of care over anything. That's what he's saying. And he uses a 100% statement there in verse number 6. Be careful for nothing. Now, are there reasons, are there things that come into our lives that cause us to worry sometimes? Yes or no? Yes. Are there worldful things that come into our lives? The answer to that is yes. We all face them. We do. We face them. And some of them are extreme. But just because we face a circumstance that it is extreme does not excuse us to live a life of worry, a life full of care. We're not to be full of care. We're not to be overflowing with care. He says, be careful for nothing. And it, words, it means to be anxious or to be troubled about with care, to worry. Uh, the word careful comes from a Greek word, meromnao. And the only reason I tell you that is because it shows up in other parts of the New Testament. And how it's used there can help us understand how it's used here. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 31, Jesus used it. He said to his disciples, therefore, take no meromnao, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Jesus says to his disciples, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Now, that would be, seem pretty serious to me. If we didn't have something to eat, would we not be justified to worry about it? God says no. No, you shouldn't worry. Why? Because your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. You need to trust your heavenly Father. In Luke chapter 10 and verse number 40, we find the very same word again. He says, it says, But Martha was cumbered about with much serving and came to Jesus and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Jesus, don't you care? That's quite an accusation. Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful. Thou art full of care. Merimnao and troubled about many things. You're full of care. 
So my question to you tonight is, what's your concern? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a concern. What's your, what is your concern? You ought, most of us in this room probably have a concern of some kind. We're planning towards Christmas, you know, and maybe have family gatherings planned, and you might be planning the cookie menu and the get-together and all these things and dates and how are we going to fit it all in, and we're busy. And maybe it's just the busyness of the season, or maybe there's something a whole lot more serious than that. But my question to you tonight is, what's your concern? Because you probably have one. In verse number 6, the latter part, he tells us what we're supposed to do with our worries. Look at verse 6. He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. He says, let your request be made known unto God. I don't want you, and this is what the Holy Spirit is saying through the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. He's saying, I don't want you. I know you have concerns. I know you have concerns, Church of Philippi. That's not the question. I don't want you to bear the weight of your concerns all by yourself. I don't want you just to, to uh, try harder. I, don't, I just don't want you to, to hold it all in. I, don't want, I just don't want you to, to do your best. He's saying, I, I, there's something you need to do, and that is pray. You need to pray. And so what should we do when we begin to worry? And the answer is we need to pray. And there are four aspects of prayer in verse number 6, just the end of it. Four aspects to the prayer that Paul talks about. First of all, I notice that he says, take everything to the Lord. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer. In everything. Take everything to the Lord in prayer. Psalm 37 in verse 5 says, commit thy way unto the Lord. And that word commit has the idea of to roll off one's burden onto another. Some of us in this room, we do pray, but we don't roll the burden off onto the, onto the Lord. We verbalize our concern to him, but we don't give it to him. Now, that's not easy, what I just said, okay? It's easy for me to say it. It's not as easy to do it. But are you, when you pray, am I, when I pray, am I just talking to God about my frustrations against him and what he's allowed into my life? Or am I just telling him what I would like to him to do about the matter? Or am I saying, Lord, this is too much for me, and I'm giving it to you? He says, commit thy way into the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass, and he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. I might ask this question tonight, what is it in your life that you're not praying about? Is there something in your life that you're not praying about? Is there a concern that you have that you have not taken to the Lord? Because in this passage, what does he say? Be careful for nothing but in everything. Everything. You take everything to the Lord. I must take everything to the Lord. Secondly, I notice that we do have access to the Lord. He's never too busy to listen to us. Uh, Look at there, he says, but in everything, by prayer. And that is, we have access and supplication. Uh, We we can ask him. We have access to him. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find find grace to help in time of need. You know, if you're overwhelmed 
as I am at times overwhelmed with the situation, if you're like me, you can take it all in on yourself and try to figure it all out yourself and percolate and analyze and repercolate and analyze. And you know, it's just terrible. And it's quite miserable, a miserable existence. Or, and this is what I'm praying God will do in my life, that I'll become more disciplined. And when I face situations in life that I cannot, and there are many of them, that I become disciplined and going to the Lord in prayer in everything. And that I become disciplined and coming to him boldly before his throne, that I might find grace to help in time of need. You know that that's God's mind on the matter for you and for me when you and I are faced with big or, or impossible situations or little situations that seem impossible to us, whatever we want to word it. You know that God's will and God's mind on the matter is For us as his children, he wants to give us more grace. And he really is waiting for us to humble ourselves and come before him and say, Lord, this is what I'm dealing with. It's not new to you. I know you know about it, but God, it really is too big for me. And there's no, and I really don't know what to do. Or God, this is what I think needs to happen. But Lord, I'm giving it to you. I'm going to give it to you in everything. The word supplication has the idea of to beg out of need. Why? Because he is the supplier. And we saw that this morning. And he can supply our needs. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7, he says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. There's a fourth aspect of prayer in verse 6, the latter part, and that is that we can accept God's answer. And we ought to accept God's answer to our prayer with thanksgiving. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes in my life I've struggled with this. When God doesn't do something the way that I think it should be done, is my first response when God chooses to do something differently than I wanted is my response to say, thank you, Lord. How many of us, how many of us, it's our response when we receive a gift at Christmas, how many of us have the response when it, it doesn't fit or we have doubles or triples of it or, or we don't like it? I know that would, that's almost rude to say or think, right? It's never happened to any of us in this room, right? Some, you got something, you're like, ugh. How many of it's hard for us to say thank you and to truly mean it when we're not thankful? If only life were as simple as a sweater that didn't fit. If only life were that simple. In this passage, Paul says, you have concerns. Everyone has concerns. And so you need to pray, but when you pray, and as you pray, and as you're committing your way into the Lord, and you're, you're, you're not going to be full of care, you're going to give it over to God, you also need to be thankful for it. And that may be the hardest truth of this evening. What if God doesn't get rid of the problem? What if this is the new normal? And don't get carried away with the what-if game, by the way. Isn't that what happened to the Apostle Paul? You remember the thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12? He said, for this thing, this thorn in the flesh, I besought the Lord thrice. Three seasons of prayer. 
that it might depart from me. He went to the one who could take it away. And God said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul's response was, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And he goes on from there. With a heart of thanksgiving to God for the thorn. And too many times in my life, I found myself facing something that was probably far less difficult than what the Apostle Paul went through. And something that I've struggled with in my life personally is being thankful when things don't work out like I want them to. They're not according to Seth's plan. I once heard a man put it this way. He said, quote, careful for nothing, prayerful for everything, and thankful for anything. It's our responsibility to be thankful. And by the way, a thankful heart is a sign of a humble heart. A humble heart does not come to God and tell God the way it should be. A humble heart comes to God and says, God, thank you for all that you've given me. All of it. All of it. Number two, notice verse number seven. Not only should we take the matter, of, matter to God in prayer, but secondly, we, we need to rest in the, in the peace that God is in control. We need to rest in the peace that God is in control. Look at verse number seven. He says, in the peace of God, this comes after praying in verse 6. If we'll pray according to verse 6, he says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep, shall guard and protect your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, it's interesting what happens in verse number 7, but I'll say this right now. If we're not going to pray as we're instructed in verse number 6, then we can't expect the peace of God that he promises in verse number 7. So, are we praying? But in verse 7, he's saying, I want you to rest in the peace that God is in control. I want you to trust God, is what he's saying. I want you to trust the one who is good. I want you to trust the one who knows the issue. I want you to trust the one who can provide for the issue. I want you to trust... God, there's nobody like him. No one cares like God cares. And I want you to trust him. And that's what Paul is saying to these believers. Some of us are convinced that peace is a result of circumstances. Well, if God would just give some more money, I would have peace. That's wrong thinking. And you know what? We're tempted to look at a situation and say, you know what? No, that is the problem. If I had more money, I'd have more peace. That's not true. That's a lie of the devil. Or we might look at our situation and say, you know what? If, if my health was only the way it used to be, I'd have more peace. I wouldn't be so fretful. I wouldn't be afraid. I wouldn't be concerned if I just had the health I used to have or the health that somebody else has. But you know what? Peace doesn't come as a result of circumstances or changing of circumstances. Peace is something that God's people have had, and we see this throughout the Word of God, from cover to cover. Peace is something that God's people have had all throughout the Bible in different, very trying circumstances. I think of Abram, and God saying to Abram, Hey, leave your family. Leave your father's house, leave your your relatives, leave the land that you know. 
And I want you to go to a place that I'll show you. (laughs) That's a little vague. Or how about Daniel, who stands for the truth, who's thrown into a lion's den, and he goes to sleep. Again, peace is not a result of circumstances. Uh, Psalm 46 and verse 10 again says, Be still, no matter where you're at, and know that I am God. In verse 7, the beginning part, I notice there's a promise of peace. He says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This peace passeth all understanding. In John 14, and verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying, I have peace. And I want you to have peace too. And I'm giving you peace, not the way the world gives a gift, but I'm giving you something that is sufficient. The peace of God passeth all understanding. You see that in verse number 7, the beginning part. And we might say this evening, well, that's fine and good, but I don't have any peace in my situation. But we have to understand and we have to recognize that peace doesn't come from our circumstances. Peace doesn't come from our circumstances. Peace, the peace of Christ, is not dependent upon circumstances. Jesus' peace is not like the world's peace. The world's peace is dependent upon circumstances. The world says peace is dependent upon a healthy bank account and good health and success. And I suppose that's understandable to some degree, but Jesus' peace isn't dependent upon any of those things because it, he says it in verse number 7, it passeth all understanding. And what really what Paul is saying is, it's not explainable. I can't fully put this into words. But you have something as a child of God, and you have, you, can, you have access to something through the avenue of prayer that nobody else in the world has. You, have a, you as a believer have access to this peace, the peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it doesn't make sense. Keep in mind that Paul is writing this from a Roman prison. He's chained up to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, for six hours at a time, and they would change the guard four times a day. Paul was waiting to be put to death. He didn't know if he was going to be put to death or not. And he's talking about peace. Maybe that's how you feel. Maybe you feel like you're in prison. You'd like to escape, but you can't. You would if you could, but there's no way out. The hymn writer did it well when he wrote the words... Peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. And the third verse of that hymn he wrote, I am resting tonight in this wonderful peace, resting sweetly in Jesus' control. You see, that's, that's where the peace is at, because he's not out of control. Resting Sweetly in Jesus' control, for I'm kept from all danger by night and by day, and his glory is flooding my soul. And I ask you, are you experiencing that? Because if you're a child of God, God wants you to experience that. Now, he'll use the trial. 
He'll use the vexation of your soul to draw you closer and draw me closer to him. And I, and I encourage you as your pastor here tonight, humble yourself before God and say, I understand who you are, God. That everything, that there is nothing that happens on this earth that is outside of your control and you've allowed this into my life and God, I want you to have your way in me. Are you walking in the peace of God? You know the disciples got it. You remember Peter being nervous? You remember that and edgy in the garden of Gethsemane? And you remember those men coming to arrest Jesus and to take him off to be wrongfully, illegally tried that night and to be crucified the next day. And they all arrive, this big group of men. And there is Judas Iscariot going to betray him with a kiss. And Peter, what does he do? He pulls out his dagger and he hacks off a man's ear. He was a bit nervous, you could say. In Acts chapter 12, though, we find Peter asleep in prison. The angel of the Lord has to kick him to wake him up. And somewhere along the line, the apostle Peter learned to rest in the peace of God. He wasn't there in the Garden of Gethsemane. But later, you remember in Acts, in the day of Pentecost, there's Peter and he's preaching to thousands of people. He's preaching truths that are offensive to the people that he's preaching them to. That's not easy. Somewhere along the line, Peter went from being nervous and edgy to having the peace of God in very, very difficult times. Look, look, look at verse number 7. The latter part, he says, that this peace that passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Christ's peace actually guards our thinking. Well, if, if our thinking is right, then we'll have peace, Yes. But the peace of God, when we pray biblically, the way God lays out for us in this passage, when we pray as we ought to pray, and we give it over to the Lord, and we are thankful for what he's given us, for what we have, when we're content with such things as we have, if nothing changes, it will be all right, because God is in control. There is a great peace that will wash over your soul, and it will actually protect your thinking. It means that word keep in verse 7 has the idea of to guard, to protect. To guard is a sentinel. Look at verse number 8, because I notice thirdly, we're to be refreshed by thinking those things that are peaceful. So we're to take the matter to God in prayer. We're to rest in the peace that God is in control. And thirdly, we're to be refreshed by thinking peaceful thoughts. Now, I'm not just preaching positivity tonight, okay? Because for some in this room, and there are folks in this room with cancer, and with loved ones with cancer, and there are others with uh, loved ones who are not well and physically hurting, and there are those with loved ones who are uh, not walking with the Lord, and they are in danger. Others of us have people that we we love, and they're faced with very, very big decisions, life-changing kinds of decisions. Some of us have relationships that are broken apart and need to be mended, And there are much, there's much that's represented in this room tonight that frankly, without God working, there is not much of anything that we can do. So, I'm not just preaching positivity tonight. Let's all just forget about our trials and woes and just go on out of here and pretend. That's not what I'm teaching and preaching. And that's not what the Apostle Paul was teaching this church. And that's not what the Holy Spirit of God wants for us tonight. 
But what he does say in verse number 8 is, I want you to think those things that are true. I want you to think thoughts that are peaceful thoughts. I want you to trust the Lord, is what he's saying. Look at verse number 8. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. And the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, literally tells us, while you're going through the trial, you need to think a certain way. Your thinking needs to be on certain truths. So we're to be refreshed by peaceful thoughts. And, and, and I can't help but noticing how the Apostle Paul puts the emphasis on our thinking. And you know that the, our thought lives, for many of us, are where the battle is won and lost, right here. Sometimes people give up. They give up. And if they had just held on a little longer. Happens in marriage. Happens in training up children. Happens in local churches. And I, I just, just happens with jobs. Just can't not gonna do it anymore. So what we think has a tremendous effect upon us spiritually. Romans chapter 8 and verse 5 says this, For they that are after the flesh, those folks who are living fleshly lives, do mind the things of the flesh. They're thinking fleshly, and that's why they live that way. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. In Isaiah 26 and verse 3, it says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. I'll read that one again, Isaiah 26, 3. That's a wonderful verse to memorize. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. And that is exactly what Paul is doing here. Paul puts an emphasis on our thinking because he knows that what we think on has a tremendous impact and influence over us. And he wants us to be thinking. And what are the thoughts we're supposed to be thinking? Well, verse 8, he literally tells us what to think. In verse 8, look there again. He says, think on what, whatever is true. Things that are truthful. Now, be careful not to give in to vain imaginations. Empty thoughts. Well, I know what he's thinking. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Do I know what you're thinking? No. Nate Hollis might be thinking, I really want a burger. I have no idea what he's thinking. Somebody else might be thinking, you know, I could surmise what you're thinking, but I don't know what you're thinking. Um, we need to think on things that are true. We need to think on the things that are true. In verse, uh, verse 8 later, he goes on, look at this list. He says, think on things that are honest, things that are honorable. Don't think on things that are trashy. I could put it that way. Our, 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 we live in a day and age where things... There's a lot of trash out there. A Christian's thought life ought to be on a higher plane. Think on things that are just, he says, which has the idea of righteous. Think on things that are pure, has the idea of moral purity, chaste and modest. I believe it's Peter that talks about immorality is actually, actually wars against a man's soul. We live in a day where 
people see things that are immoral and they're wicked, they actually war on a person's soul. And talk about robbing a man or robbing a woman of peace. He goes on and he says, think on the things that are lovely. Now, you ought to be looking at these words and you ought to be contemplating these words. I'm giving you brief definitions, but really, these might be words you want to look into and study a little bit and learn more about so that you can have peace in your life. He says, think on those things that are lovely. It has the idea of, of thinking on those things that are pleasant or nice. Not on nasty things. Not on bitterness and sarcasm and rudeness of the world. He goes on, he says, think along the lines of those things that are of good report. In other words, he says, think about those things of being forgiving and think of those things that are kind rather than retaliating, retaliating and being bitter. And the truth is, this type of thinking produces peace. So, what are you thinking about? What kind of thoughts are you putting into your mind? Do you have peace? Let me tell you something. If you and I as believers are just going to go with the flow of this world, if we're just going to watch, saturate ourselves with the things of this world, if we're going to listen to the music of this world, if we're going to follow our flesh, which is worldly, okay, and we're going to respond to people in the flesh, uh, if we're going to follow our flesh in coveting and wanting, and i got to have this, and if I don't have this, I just don't know what the point of living is anymore. If it doesn't work out this way, I just, why do I have to deal with this? What, Lord, what have I done to deserve this? That, those are fleshly thoughts. And if we're going to just go along with the flesh, I'm telling you, anybody who does doesn't have peace. We're going to have to trust the Lord, who we believe in, as the God of the Bible, and we're going to have to pray, and we're going to have to uh, uh, let the peace of God protect our thinking, and then we're going to have to think the way God tells us we ought to think. And if we'll do that, we'll have peace. There's one last truth, and that's found in verse 9. Look there, he says, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. That's a command. And if you'll do it, the God of peace shall be with you. In verse 6, Paul talked about obtaining the peace of God, but here in verse 9 he says, the God of peace shall be with you. It's not a question of whether or not you'll have peace or not. You will have peace. You will have peace if you think this way. And what keeps us from thinking this way is our godless, wicked, carnal flesh. When I choose to think that way, in my flesh. I'm not thankful. I want what I don't have. I blame others. I mean, it can go on and on. We're going to stop there for sake of time. I don't have peace. But when I say yes to the Spirit of God within me, who's leading every one of us as his children in a certain way, it always produces peace. And it is supernatural. And like he said back up in verse 7, it passeth understanding. And a person looks at your life and they say, how is it that you're okay with this? You can say, you know, really, I'm not okay with it, as I understand it, but God has allowed it and I trust him. I don't know how else to put it than that. I trust him. He's in control. So there needs to be this practice of peace. He says, I want you to do it. 
And that word do means practice. It means to perform it repeatedly. Think this way over and over and over again. The word do isn't just a one-time do. It's make it a habit. And Paul's point, he's saying, I want you believers to make this practice of walking in peace a habit in your life. He doesn't encourage them to be self-confident. We are to practice the truths that Paul has communicated to these brethren in this text. We're to take the matter to God in prayer. We're to rest in the peace that God is in control. We're to think peaceful thoughts. And he lists how we're to think in verse number 8. And we're to enjoy the peace of God. Because the God of peace shall be with you. He's not somewhere else. He says the God of peace shall be with you. You will have peace.